Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I want to start this morning with a question for you. How many here can say, okay, by show of hands, don't raise them yet till I finish the whole question, okay? Um, how many would be able to say, um, I can think of at least one bad decision in my life that I wish I had never made? Or one relationship that I wish I had never gotten into. um, One behavior that I wish I had never started. And one path that I wish I had never walked down. And looking back on it now, I wish somebody had spoken up and stopped me. Anybody fit that category? Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So we're all in good company today. Now, here's my second question in all honesty. If someone had spoken up and told you don't do that, how many would have gone ahead and done it anyway? Yeah, Yeah, probably so, okay? Um, We are in this series um, called Love Rules, and today we're going to be talking about what is probably one of the most awkward, um, we talked about one of the most difficult last week in forgiveness. Today we're going to be talking about one that's probably the most awkward and uncomfortable of all of them, and it's about truth-telling. And maybe you're hearing, you have someone in your life that you see going down a road that you wish they weren't going to go down, and, and you want to speak up, but you don't because you're afraid. You're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. You're afraid of breaking that relationship. You're afraid that you'll say it wrong or you don't know what to say or how to say it or any of those things. But it's the one thing that's keeping you from speaking up when you know you need to. It too is an aspect of love. And this whole series called Love Rules is all about discovering how to make love rule in our lives. And it comes from 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul wrote to a church in Corinth talking about this is what it looks like when love rules in your life. These are, in essence, the rules of love. And, and this whole idea of truth-telling, not truth-telling like George Washington, I cannot tell a lie, but truth-telling when it comes to that loving, honest confrontation. And How do you do that, and why is that so important? And you have to see it in the context of the bigger picture of this is one aspect of love. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 13, um, if you're in the Northgate app, you can uh, use the Bible app that's linked in there. 1 Corinthians 13, this is the letter that Paul wrote talking to this church about what love looks like. And each week we've been reading it together, so I'm really encouraging you memorize this. This is an important part of Scripture. All right, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1, this is what Paul wrote. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and could fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Each week as we've been taking a look at these kind of section by section, one of the big learnings through this whole series is that love is not easy. Love is not warm and fuzzy. Love is hard work. And you can't love in the way that God loves on your own. You can't do it in your own strength. You need 
his grace. You need his power and his strength with you. And one of the things that we've said in this whole series, the reason we're going through this is that we would just be not just be a community of faith, that we would be a community of love. And to do that, we need to know what that kind of love looks like. So today we're going to look at, like I said, what is probably one of the most awkward and, and challenging of them. It is this idea of truth telling. And it's based on these twin statements that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And what does that look like? What does that mean? And I think it goes to two of our core values around here. We say all the time that we are all people in process. None of us has it all together. None of us is living that perfect life, okay? We are all people in process, but we're a community of grace, which means that we want to be redemptive in our relationships. And it's where all of those things kind of converge is what we're going to be talking about today. That we realize none of us is perfect, that we're all people in process, but in our relationships, we want to act redemptively. And I think that's at the key of this whole idea of truth-telling. So what does it look like? And why do we need it? And what's it all about? So I want to start with this idea. Here's the thing. I think we all need truth-tellers in our lives. We all need it. We all need truth-tellers in our life. Paul wrote, love does not delight in evil. Now, that might seem like a no-brainer. Of course, anybody with any shred of decency would hate evil. But I was thinking about that this week. Okay, is it possible that there are ways in which we do actually delight in evil? And I thought of a few. One of them's tied back to what we talked about last week when we talked about forgiveness, that we let go of our right to get even. And it's that, it's that aspect of us that we delight in evil when one of our enemies suffers evil. When we've been hurt and then the person who hurt us gets hurt, we kind of like that. And in that, it's a sense that we're delighting in evil. I think there's another one, and this is maybe bigger for all of us. It is, I think we delight in evil when we engage in sin. When we indulge in sin, what we really are doing is we are delighting in evil. And the thing is, we are so good at making excuses, and we are so good at justifying and denying our behavior, and we have all kinds of reasons why we, we even start to go along the lines that, well, you can't really call it sin, and it certainly isn't evil, but what we don't understand is sin is evil. It really is. We don't think of it that way, but it is. And we do delight in it. I mean, after all, that's what makes it so enticing. It is enjoyable. There's a satisfaction. There's a pleasure that we get out of it. You know, the old saying is, you know, if you don't enjoy sin, you're not doing it right. (laughs) Because what makes it so enticing is that it is pleasurable. It is delightful. That's why we engage in it. But that is one way in which we are delighting in evil. And that's why we need truth tellers in our lives. We all need somebody who will speak up to us, someone who will challenge us, someone who who will catch us. And and we see that particularly in in recovery groups, in 12-step groups. One of the great strengths of a 12-step group is it's a group of people who are all in the same boat and we hold everybody accountable. You can't get away with anything because we all know those tricks. See, that's how a 12-step, that's the value of that kind of a community. We hold each other accountable. And we need that. We all need those truth tellers in our lives because we're so good, so good at denying it in ourselves. We all have our own weaknesses. We all have our own blind spots. Sin is deceptive. John wrote these words, 1 John 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
And centuries before that, the prophet Jeremiah wrote these words. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, we're good at deceiving ourselves. Sin is deceitful. Um, A guy named Dan Ariely, he's a professor of psychology um, at Duke University. And he's done a great deal of study um, in this idea of how, how we kind of fudge the truth and how we, we kind of cheat very easily. And he actually published a book not too long ago, came out. It says, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty is the title. The subtitle is, How We Lie to Everyone, Especially Ourselves. Because we're really good at doing that. And he cites a number of studies that have been done to, to kind of see that level of deception. And what he discovered through all of these different studies is that, that we, are, we will all cheat a little bit. We will cheat up to the point where we can reap some benefit from our cheating or our lying, but still consider ourselves honest people. And so we all kind of had that line that we will not cross. Did one of the studies when they did, um, it was in one of the universities uh, in their coffee area. And this was for the professors in the psychology department. And they had kind of one of those honesty boxes, like, you know, pay for your coffee, pay for your tea. And they had this little box there. It was on an honor system. And um, what they did for 10 weeks is they had that box out there. And they would put pictures over the sign with a little explanation. You know, here's where you make, here's where you pay for your coffee. Here's where you pay for your tea. And um, half the time, they had a picture up there of like some flowers. So kind of a pretty picture. And then the other half of the time, and they alternated back and forth. The other half of the time is they put a picture up, the, up there of eyes watching. And what they found after 10 weeks is the comparing between the, the weeks that they had the picture of the flowers and the weeks that they had the picture of the eyes, they actually received three times more donations from the eye pictures than from the flower pictures. It turns out even if you think somebody's watching you, you will be more honest. That's why we need those truth tellers in our lives. We need the people who will hold us accountable. And here's why it's so crucial. Because we're so good at excusing ourselves and justifying our behavior and explaining away everything, because we are so good at that, what happens is that over a period of time, as we continue to engage in those behaviors, it begins to erode our faith. Something that I've seen over and over again as a pastor, people's belief doesn't disappear automatically. There's a process to it. And usually quitting behaviors or engaging in other behaviors is the precursor to a loss of faith or a drifting in faith. We drift in our behavior before we drift in our belief. And you find that over and over again. Nobody gets up one morning and just said, you know what, I don't think I believe that stuff anymore. (laughs) What we do is we engage in certain behaviors and activities that over a period of time we kind of become inured to it. And that starts to erode our faith because faith that's not practiced becomes impractical faith. And over a period of time, we get to the point where it's just like, yeah, I don't even know if I believe it's a sin. I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. It is a subtle drift. And it happens. If you think about it, think about the very first temptation. When the Satan came to Eve, what was the words that he used? Did God really say that you must not? That's challenging God's authority. And that's what happens. When we engage in behavior that is contrary to our faith, it challenges God's authority in our life. That's why every one of us needs a truth teller in our lives. It's absolutely essential for us. There's a third way that I think we delight in evil. And this one's maybe a little more subtle. But when we see another engaging in sin, when we see another engaging in evil and we say nothing, 
in a sense, we're endorsing and we're delighting in that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote these words, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency that abandons others to their sin. In other words, second part of this, we all need to care enough to confront. We need people who will speak truth into our own lives, but we also need to love and care about those around us enough to speak up for them. We need to care enough to confront. And I know what you're thinking, because you're thinking what I think all the time. It's none of my business. After all, who am I to say something? And the truth is, it is your business. It says that love rejoices with the truth. That doesn't mean we all become judgmental busybodies engaged in checking out everybody's lives. But what it does mean is that we are somehow engaged and connected with people that we are responsible for each other. Jesus put it this way. He said, if your brother or sister sins, go to and point, it out, point out their fault and do it. He says, by the way, just between the two of you, you go and have that conversation. Just between the two of you. You don't go to talk to somebody else about it. You don't raise it as a prayer request, which is kind of a Christian way of gossip, you know. <laughs> Pray for brother so-and-so. Oh, I just saw him doing that. and He needs our prayers. You go talk to him. You go talk to him. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. Now, what's, in, what's, what's implied there is that there's a relationship, that I'm connected enough in somebody's life, and I know what's going on, that I can speak up. So when it comes to that, how do you do it? When you know you got to have that hard conversation. And I'll just say up front, I'm not good at this. I avoid confrontation as much as I possibly can. This is a tough one for me too. But it is an aspect of love. So when it comes down to it, and you have to have that conversation, how do you do it? And I'm going to give you four things that I think are absolutely essential. The first is this. Start by examining your own motives. Start with your own motives. Don't go to vent on them. Don't go because you're frustrated with them or you're angry with them or something like that. Start with your own motives. In, in Paul's letter, this actually, what we're, the passage that we're looking at is part of one of two letters that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. And in this first letter, um, if you read somewhere else in the letter, if you read through the whole thing, you'll find there were some issues going on in the Corinthian church that needed to be addressed. There was some sexual sin. There was some incest that was going on. And it wasn't just that it was going on, but it was just like everybody was just kind of okay with it. And Paul said, no, 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 you, you, you can't. And get, that, that's not healthy. That's not right. That's not, that's not good for the individual. It's not good for the church. Something has to be done. And so in that first letter, 1 Corinthians, he writes about that. And it was a tough thing. And later in the second letter, he writes about that first letter. And this is what he says. He said, I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. He says, yeah, this was a tough letter to write. And I didn't do it because I just wanted to vent on you and I didn't want to beat you up but I just wanted you to know I did this with great tears and great sorrow and great anguish. It was a tough letter to write. And I didn't do it to hurt you. I did it to show my love for you. See, that has got to be the motive. You don't do it out of your own frustration. You do it out of love for the other person. 
You do it because you care about them. Here's the motivation. Anytime you confront, it should be in order to help or to heal, not to hurt. It might cause some hurt, but the motive has to be to help or to heal. So examine your motives. Second thing is think about what you'll say before you say it. Don't just go off half-cocked and just explode. Think about what you're going to say. There's a huge, huge difference between being a truth teller and just being a jerk. Huge difference. And a lot of it has to do with your approach. To the Ephesian church, Paul wrote these words, speaking the truth with love. We will grow up in every way into Christ. He says, we do this in love. We do it in such a way that causes that growth, that help, that healing that we talked about. In fact, a little bit later, same chapter, he says, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In other words, we're in this together. We're in this together. We're all the part of the same body. And, and when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. If your heart all of a sudden started to do some crazy things, the rest of the body would go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> hey, you're affecting the rest of us here. We're connected with each other. We are responsible for each other. So we do it in love for each other. And it's not just up to perfect people. You know, because I, I know that's what we think. That's what I think. Well, who am I? I mean, I got my own issues. I got my own struggles. Like I said, we are all people in process. None of us has it all together here. If we leave truth-telling only up to the perfect people, nobody's going to do it. So we do it in humility. Think about what you'll say before you're saying it. By the way, here's some things that you want to think about when you're going to do it, when you're going to have the conversation. Timing is everything. You got you to make sure that there's going to be a time where you're going to be able to talk and talk meaningfully. I think the thing, other thing is you need to think about what it is you're actually going to say. And if it's awkward and if it's difficult for you, start with that. You say, you know what? This is a tough conversation for me. This is really awkward and I'm afraid I'm going to say things the wrong way, but I just got to talk to you about this. And then how you're going to say it has always got to be with humility. So think about what you say before you're saying it. Third, Affirm them as you address their behavior. This is one of the things when we were raising our children and we had to discipline them. Um, one of the things that we tried to do, tried to do, can't say did it 100% of the time, but what we always tried to do was somehow differentiate for them the difference between who they are as a person and the behavior or activity that they were currently engaged in. And so when we had the discipline, one of the things that we would try to do would be after we administered the discipline, whatever it was, whatever the punishment was, when we were done, we would always say, okay, now you know why we did this. It's only because I love you. And, and I love you, but I don't like your behavior. So we dealt with the behavior. Now give me a hug. It's over. It's done with. We move on. See, that's, that's affirming somebody for who they are, even though you're addressing their behavior. To the Corinthian church... It's what Paul did. In this very tough letter, he began the letter with these words. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way. What he's saying is, listen, I love you. And, and this is what I see God doing among you. you, you God's doing some incredible stuff. Now I'm going to have to talk to you about some really tough stuff. But I want you to know up front, this is what I think of you. 
And in fact, if you read the New Testament, most of our New Testament is letters written by the Apostle Paul to individual churches. And in just about every letter, he has to make some kind of correction about something that was going on. But he always started with affirmation. And he always ended with affirmation. And in the middle, he dealt with the issues. That's what you do. So here are some of the things that you want to affirm. You want to affirm, first of all, that you love them deeply. That the only reason I'm having this conversation with you is because I care about you. I love you. And you also want to affirm that you want the best for them. Because I love you, I want the best for you. And you're better than this. This is not good for you. I want the best for you. You want to affirm that you believe in them and that God can help them make the changes they need to make. You want to affirm that in them. And I think one of the last things is you want to affirm that you are here with them for the long haul. That I'm here, I'm not just venting on you and walking away. I'm going to be here and help you through this process. I'm going to keep praying for you. I'm going to keep checking up on you. I'm going to keep making myself available to you if you need to talk. But we're in this together. I'm committing myself to you. And then the last thing is this. We need to be willing to risk their rejection. Because you have no idea how they're going to respond. And it is a risk. You have no idea how it's going to turn out. You can do everything right and still have them reject you. And they might get mad at you. They might question your motivation. Um, they might reject you personally. That's possible. But if you love them and you care about them, you've got to be willing to take that risk. It is a risk. Again, Paul's letter, second letter to the Corinthian church. This is what he wrote to them towards the end of the letter. He says, even if I caused you sorrow in my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Now, you might get that response. You might not get that response right away. It might come later, and you may never get that response. They may cut you out of their life. You can't control their response, but you can do what needs to be done in love. And you can trust that God will take that. See, here's the other thing. You have no idea what God's doing in their life. You have no idea how many people are praying. They might have a family member across the country that's just praying, God, please send somebody their way. Somebody, I can't get to them. Send somebody. And you might be that person. You have no idea what God's doing in their life. You have no idea if you might be the one to make that difference. Because what hangs in the balance some cases might be eternity and you might be the one to make the difference you don't know how it's going to turn out you don't know what God's doing in their hearts you don't know what your place in that whole thing might be here's what you do know here's what you do know if you can turn someone from their sin you can absolutely change their life and if you can help somebody recognize that sin and turn to God there will always always be his grace see that's what first john 1 9 says the first john 1 8 we read earlier says if we if we um claim to be without sin we're deceiving ourselves but he says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness and that word confess literally it means to say the same thing that god looks at you and me in our sin and he says that's wrong that's wrong that's sin you're, you're, you're sinning. 
And the moment, the moment that we say the same thing, yes, Lord, you're right, I am sinning. This is wrong, and I shouldn't be doing it. The moment, the moment when we say the same thing that God says about us, he says, now you're forgiven. Now you're not just forgiven, you are restored. He says, he's faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's what confession is all about. It is not about punishment. It always is meant to lead to grace. And anytime we are willing to own up to our own evil, our own sin, our own mistakes, the moment we're willing to do that, God is there to forgive. Do you bow your heads with me? So here's a couple questions as we close. Who do you know in your life that's heading down a wrong path right now? Someone you know that's involved in some soul-threatening, self-destructive behavior. And you see it happening. You see the direction. You know where it's going. And for that person, it might be you that needs to speak up. Would you be willing to take that risk? Would you be willing today to make a decision to say, you know what, as tough as it's going to be, as awkward as it's going to be, as risky it's going to be, Lord, I want to be your voice in that person's life. In love, in humility, with all the things that we talked about today. And again, you're not going to do this in your own strength. So, as we've been talking this morning, if there's somebody that's come to mind and you know that's the person and you're the one to talk to them and you're willing today to say, God, I'm going to step up. I'm going to speak up. I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. I would love to pray for you as we close. So if that describes you and you can think of somebody that you're going to need to talk to this week maybe and you're willing to say, God, I'll take the risk. Please give me the strength and the wisdom. If I could pray for you, would you just let me know by just raising your hand? Hold it up for a moment. Catch my eye so I can tell you, praying with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Second question I have for you today is, is there somebody in your life that has permission to ask you the hard questions? Is there anybody in your life that has the freedom to speak to you when it needs to be? And if not, that you would be willing today to say, you know, I need that person in my life. Because as long as I can live in secrecy, I can indulge in my sin and think that it's okay. And that might be even harder than confronting somebody else to make yourself so vulnerable to say, I'm holding myself accountable to you. You've got permission to speak into my life if need be. That's a tougher one. And so far in our services, there's been less people willing to admit that one. But if you would today say, I'm going to take that risk too. I'm going to make myself vulnerable to somebody. Again, this is a tough one. If you're willing to make that decision, I will pray for you as well. And if that describes you today, same thing. Would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. All right. 
And the last one is maybe you're here and you don't know the grace of God. That you've been living your life on your own terms and doing your own thing. And, and you know it. You know it because it, it's, it's created this division between you and God. And today, maybe for the first time, you take a step of faith and just confess and admit to Him. You don't have to go into all the gory details. He already knows what they are. But if you're willing to say, God, here I am in my sin, in my faults. I need your grace. See, that's why Christ went to the cross to pay for that so that you could know his forgiveness. And if you've never taken that first step of faith, but today you're willing to say, God, here I am. I need your forgiveness. I'm going to put my life in your hands. I want to live in your grace. And you've never done that before, but today you're taking a first step of faith. One last thing. Just raise your hand. Hold it up for a moment so I can catch your eye. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So join me in this prayer. First, Lord, I want to pray for those who've raised a hand saying, I've got a tough conversation I'm going to have to have this week, and I can't do it in my own strength. God, would you give them the wisdom, the grace, the humility, the strength to speak up, to turn someone from a path that's self-destructive. Give them that strength this week. And for those who raise their hand saying, I need someone in my life who will speak truth to me. I don't really have that. And this week, they're going to open their lives up, lives up and, and they're going to they're make themselves vulnerable in a way they never have before. And that, that's not easy to do either. God, would you give them the wisdom and the strength to follow through on that decision so that they might grow in you. And then if you raise your hand saying, this is the first step away for me, this is your prayer. Just make this your own as I lead you. Lord, here I am with my faults, with my sin, things that I'm not proud of, things that I know have led me down a wrong path. Today, I'm turning to you and I'm asking for your forgiveness. I'm reaching out to your grace. Would you take what you did for me on the cross and apply it to my life today because I'm putting my life in your hands pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.